Welcome to chapel. Um, I want to uh, welcome our speaker today, Joe Novenson. Pastor Joe Novenson is... Um, He's the pastor just down the road at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. And at Covenant, we want our students to be really connected to local churches. And Lookout Mountain is one of those churches that many of our students, faculty, and staff attend. Um, but I'm just going to introduce Joe as the husband of Barb, the father of Matthew, Andrew, and Ellie, and the grandfather of Hans, Levi, and Ben. So please welcome him. Thank you to uh, the staff and faculty for allowing me to come. And a word just to uh, previewing parents and students. Uh, all three of my children chose, chose to go here. And all three graduated, thanks be to God. And, um, and afterwards, both my wife and I are here. If you wanted to ask us any questions, we'd be happy to answer them. So I'll just remain up here, so please feel free. Let's pray. Father, please, do again what only you can do. Open human hearts and take your eternal, unchangeable, infallible, and inerrant word and drive it all the way home. All the way, Father, you know, you know where we need, need most to respond. So we're asking that you would do this, maybe in such a way that five billion years from now, we'll talk about what you did today. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I read the scripture, I want to tell you about a man who went through what he thought was in one more day, like any other day. His name was Terry Anderson. The date was March 16, 1985. He was playing one more game of tennis on the same tennis court where he had gone regularly. He was, for the Associated Press, their Middle East chief journalist. But this day would be different than any other. For on this day, when he tucked his racket underneath his arm, men would grab him, beat him, threw him into a trunk, and he became the longest, to this day, the longest held captive in the history of aggressive terrorism in my lifetime. Six years, nine months, tortured, deprived of food, locked up with rats, brainwashed, isolated, moved with hoods on his head, mock executions, abuse verbally, physically. He never thought he'd get out, and as other prisoners were added to him, they were not allowed to communicate and actually developed a form of Morse code, of tapping, 
so they could speak with one another. When he was released, you can imagine the press descended on him and the others released. And shouting as their feet hit the tarmac when they landed in the States, they said, do you have any message for your captors? One of them, not Terry, turned and said, yeah. I hope you die a slow and painful death. And Terry chimed in. I don't hate anyone. I'm a Christian. I'm required to forgive, no matter how hard it may be. I'd like to ask you a question. Does that sound naive to you? Maybe noble? Maybe nuts? Or normal? What I'm about to tell you from the word of God is that Jesus says for everyone that is truly his, normal. Now here's why I'm taking you there before I read the scripture. According to stats recently recorded in the newspaper, there are more gang members in the city of Chattanooga than there are students at Covenant College. And between January and this date, there have been six deaths and 20 woundings and the majority of which we think, we think, were reprisals or revenge. Some of you are studying history. You know better than I that according to what I've read, 8% of recorded history, 8% was without war. And between 1,500 BC and the present day, 8,000 peace treaties, more than that, have been trashed. Again, again, for reprisal or revenge. But think about just on campus. Think about your dorm. Think about between faculty and staff, between faculty and you and you and faculty. Is there real forgiveness? Or is there subtle passive aggression, sort of relational terrorism? Give me what I want, or I'm going to blow up what we both value, us. Think about what you've seen at home. This is what Jesus has to say to address it. Just before I read it, you need to know he's already said to Peter and the Twelve, listen, you deal with your own ethical, moral, sinful trouble. You deal with that more severely than anybody else in the beginning of Matthew 18. He then says, you realize that your own ethical, moral, spiritual failure will suck others down. They'll stumble. They'll trip. You'll have an impact. It will spread like cancer. And then third, he says, and I want you to go after the marginal the little, the forgotten, the ones on the farthest end of what you think is central culture. Go for them. And then finally, he says, and if you're personally trespassed by a Christian, go once, not enough. Go again, not enough. Go again. And Peter seems to have hit his limit. And this is what happens in Matthew 18. Listen to the word of God. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts 
with his servants, and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay this master, he ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I've had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Four things, briefly. First, I want you to see a very raw, but a very revealing question. Matthew shows you Peter's question, maybe in private, and he says, Master, how many times should I forgive when I'm personally offended? Up to seven times? And Jesus responds with a numeric response, which is interesting. We don't exactly know why Peter chose seven. Maybe, maybe because it's the Hebrew word for complete. Maybe he's trying to impress Jesus. Maybe he's taking the previous part of Matthew 18 where Jesus says, go back if you're offended personally by a brother three times and choosing to double it and add one. We don't know. But I'm going to give you a suggestion why Jesus says what he says. He says, not seven, but 77. Where does he get that? I think he's taking him back to a synagogue school lesson he would have known well from Genesis 4, 23 and 24. The first time there was vengeance on the planet by sinful men. You see, Cain had been promised by God that God would protect him with a recompense, protective justice, seven times. And then Lamech, in sin, says to his wives these words. Listen, Ada, Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man just for wounding me. A young man, just for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech, 77 times. I think Jesus is taking Peter right back to a synagogue school lesson and saying, you have more in common with Lamech than you'd care to admit. You see, what Lamech had done, he's saying, oh, if God's justice is seven, mine is 77 times. I'm going to go beyond God. In fact, I'm going to act without regard to God. Fundamentally, he's saying this. Lamech's words, my vengeance is more and more and more. And Jesus is saying, my forgiveness that you should have is more and more and more. Lamech is saying, I make people pay, pay, pay. And Jesus is saying, I have paid. I have paid. Peter, you're acting like I don't exist. 
When you start looking at your personal violation without factoring a God who has paid for you, you could do anything to anyone. When you start responding without thinking of his provision, his protection, his promise, watch your heart. I think Jesus is saying we all have more in common with Lamech of thinking of justice without all we've been given. And the results are carnage. Second, he then shows you a forgiving king. It's stunning to me that Jesus, immediately after hearing of Peter's question about personal offense, says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a king who tried, who didn't try, who settled with his servants. Immediately, he takes Peter's chin and says, I want to tell you about a kingdom and a king. I think he's implying something. The reason we're unforgiving is we're usurping a throne of a king that doesn't belong to us. We're acting like our own little kings. I'll handle this. And Jesus is saying, you remember, Peter. I'll put you in a kingdom. And there is a king. And by the way, it's not you. And let me tell you about this king and how he handles what he's owed. And then he describes this remarkable bit of forgiveness. He says he's owed 10,000 talents. Now listen, one talent is 20 years worth of wages. So 10,000 is 20,000 year annual salary of an average worker in Israel. One scholar said if you were to take the gross provincial product of Idumea, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria combined, you still don't have 20,000 talents. Another scholar said if you took 8,600 foot soldiers, gave them each a bag with 60 pounds of gold slung over their shoulder and stood them in a line, one after the other, five miles long, now you get a picture of just how much was owed. Another one calculated it at today's price of gold when he wrote his commentary. $3,150,000,000. What's Jesus saying? The debt owed is impossible to pay. To think he could pay it is just delusional. But he's putting his finger right on this. You know how we handle things when we're personally offensive? We think in terms of ourselves being pretty good. At least I wouldn't have done that to somebody. But remember the ethic that Jesus has given us and that Peter has given us. Jesus said this, you want to know what's asked of us by the living God? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Peter remembered it. He said in his letter, be holy your Father in heaven is holy. If you think you can pay that, you're delusional. But listen to his delusion. Just be patient, and I'll pay back everything. And Jesus never says he came to his senses. But here's the point I think he's making. What you learn from the forgiving king is this. If you dare to think you really can manage your debt before God, you're your own savior. And if you are, 
you're going to be your own judge and protector too. And if anybody hurts you, you could do anything to them. That's what he's pressing. But then notice what it says, and the king forgave him and let him go. Then notice the next. Then you see an unforgiving servant. The servant goes out and it says, when he went out, so you picture the castle doors or the moat or whatever, the huge gate through which he comes, and it says this. He went out and he found someone who owed him money. He grabbed him, he choked him, and he demanded payback. Wow. This proves that the man is still functioning with more attention to his own debt than the fact that his debt has been destroyed. Take a look at the 21st century American church. Look at Christian colleges and look at Christian homes and tell me you don't see this. Really spiritual activity where we're studying God's grace and all that's been forgiven and we're having Bible studies on it and going to classes and singing songs. Spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. Then we walk outside and mean as snakes. Malignant. Tell me you haven't seen it in your home. Tell me you don't see it in your dorm. What you learn from the unforgiving servant is that we're defined far more by the debt that's been destroyed than by the one who destroyed it and leads us. So you see, spiritual, 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 malignant. Spiritual, 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 malignant. And nobody calls our hand and goes, what are we doing? So negatively put, people who are defined by the debt they owe could do anything, even if the debt's been eradicated. Positively, people who are really defined by the debt-destroying Savior, who realize this, please listen, they realize that they have a God who put himself at infinite disadvantage in order to perfectly advantage them, then they'll accept the fact that they can be put at disadvantage to an advantage a trespasser. But if that's not a centerpiece of their life, then we or they could do anything. Here's your test. Ask yourself how people react around you. Are they like the servant? Do they kind of cower in front of you? They know the only way you can relate to them is agree. The only way you can relate is yield to their power. And then look at how Jesus just nails it at verse 33. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And you can almost hear the guy going, yeah. In other words, he's not saying, this is extraordinary Christianity. This is really over the top. This is for the people who are really committed. He's saying, it's just normal. This is why John Wesley, when he preached on this verse, in the middle of his sermon said, where are all the Christians? And that brings me to the last point. 
after you've looked at a raw and revealing question, after you've looked at a forgiving king, and after you've looked at an unforgiving servant, what do you see Jesus wanting you to take away? He says it explicitly. He says, quote, verse 34, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. How central is forgiveness in those words? So central that you could actually make a theological error and say, so forgiveness by me to others causes my salvation. That is not what he's saying. Throughout the rest of scripture, listen to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. You see, what Jesus is saying is this fruit of being horizontally forgiving is so proximate, so necessarily consequential to having received such forgiveness from God that they get so close, it's hard to separate. It's a little bit like if you've ever seen a strawberry. The fruit is on the inside and the seed or the root is all those little seeds right around it. You can't look at the root without seeing the fruit. Jesus is saying this to Peter. You can't give what you ain't got. And when you got it, you'll start giving it. So let me close with just a few mental pictures. Remember Lamech's words? I love the honesty of this book, how he turns to his wives. Notice the Bible never pulls a punch. Says, bigamist, right there. Right after Eden, right there. And you remember what he said? Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man just for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Let's put words, I mean, to be honoring and respectful, in the mouth of the perfect groom, scooping up all of the Bible. And nothing I am saying now is theologically in error. This is how Jesus speaks to his bride, the true church. Church, people of God, my only bride, you are the wife of a perfect husband. Hear my words. I have been killed because you wound each other. My father injured me because of what you do. And it wasn't 77 times. I went through the sum of all of hell for all of my elect, for all eternity in the span of time. Now, forgive each other. Here's another way to look at it. A Bedouin in Central Asia, I'm told this is a true story, found his anger boiling over at a friend. He killed the friend. 
Staring at his bleeding body in the sand, the young Bedouin took off through the night and made his way to the tribal chieftain's tent. And when he arrived, the chief took him in and offered him sanctuary and asylum and said that this affair could be settled legally. The next day, the young man's friends came to the tent of the tribal chieftain and demanded the murderer be released to them. The chief said, I've given my word. They answered by saying, you don't know who he killed. The chief said again, I've given my word. They said, he killed your son. The text reads, the chief was shaken. He stood head bowed for quite some time, and the accused and the accusers looked on breathlessly. Finally, the old man raised his head and stood upright and said, then he'll become my son, and everything I have will one day be his. Do you understand that Jesus has not just removed your debt but done exactly what this Bedouin king did? Listen to Romans 8.17. Paul writes, We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Did you hear that? But the Father gave the Son. He gives you. But you hear also what he says? Share in his sufferings. Does that mean you got to die like he did? No, but it at least means this. For the people who have hurt you, incur the debt. Lose. And share in his glory. It's just normal. Let's pray. I can see the faces of the people who have done this for me. Help us hold in our hearts and minds right now the face of one to whom we need to do this right now. Professor, student, mate, child, staff, parent, colleague, Thank you for being the only king in all of history that builds your kingdom on the back of your own suffering in order to make an army of those who will gladly lose for the gain of those who have treated them wrongly. Make us like you, even as we sang, forgiving all the way from the heart with a heart humility. In Jesus' name, amen. The proceeding was provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia and available at itunes.covenant.edu.